Welcome to Dose of Support. We are an interdisciplinary show that highlights healthcare workers. We share stories and self-care in healthcare every week. I'm your host, Dr. Vanessa Casper, a nurse practitioner and a healthcare worker just like you. Remember, I'm not your healthcare provider. Our guests are not your healthcare provider, and we're not giving healthcare advice here. Seek out care from your own healthcare provider. This podcast, host, guests, and associated social media platforms are not representing an employer or organization. It's hard out there, so let's find some self-care in healthcare. Stay tuned. Welcome, Dosies, to episode 60. Yes, six zero. Can you believe how far we've come? So my aim with the show has always been to be therapeutic, educational, to have interdisciplinary representation, self-care and healthcare, and a place where like people that get it can talk. And in 60 episodes, we've interviewed, you know, sterile techs, surgical techs, CNAs, all kinds of rehab professionals like speech language pathologists and OTs and PTs and pharmacists and a life coach and dietitians. <gasps> chiropractors, LPNs, RNs, RTs, paramedics, physician associates, social workers, music therapists, farm techs, and of course, NPs. And I'm so proud that at 60 episodes, 26% of our guests have been people of color and 5% of our guests have been international or from Canada, Australia, Germany, and lots more places. So I'm, I'm just so proud that here we are, we've survived COVID so far and a tumultuous election, and it's been quite a ride now. Here comes the butt. As you know, we've switched from weekly episodes to monthly for quality over quantity. And for me, that's really what I needed to sustain the show. And I'm ready to take the show in a really different but therapeutic direction. And so I'm taking a huge break. A huge break. Like, you're going to be like, where are the episodes? I thought we were going to have another episode. And you're just not going to see an episode for months, months and months. I'll be recording during this break. So I'm getting together what I'm going to call season two. So we can consider this whole first part, these first 60 episodes, really the interdisciplinary season that highlights all of these different healthcare professionals with a self-care and healthcare component. But moving forward in season two, we are going to have self-care to share. And I'm going to let you know more when the time comes, when things are ready. Um, But Dose of Support is really changing, and I want to do that the right way. We will be back and hopefully giving you like some tangible self-care. When you listen, you actually get something. We are going to do something each episode. And so that's my goal. It's a huge task. And that's why I'm taking the time to really work on it. I I hope that when I'm back, 
that when the show comes back, you will be ready for a new vibe and that self-care to share. So with that, let's welcome a very therapeutic person to the show, Katie, and know that I will return in the future for some self-care to share. So stay tuned. Welcome back to Dose of Support. She's holding life and death at the same time. All the way from North Carolina, it's Katie May, our clinical nurse specialist. Welcome, Katie. Thank you so much. I am so excited to be here today. You have a very soothing voice, so I'm also excited to listen to what you have to say. But we have got to tell the listeners, you are a clinical nurse specialist or a CNS. And like, what the heck is that? <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, a lot of people don't really know what that means. So a clinical nurse specialist actually is one of the advanced practice nurse roles. And so as you are familiar with the nurse practitioner, there's the CNS, which is the clinical nurse specialist, and then the certified nurse midwife and the certified registered nurse anesthetist. So all of those roles, which you've probably interviewed other folks under those roles, fall under the advanced practice nurse. So clinical nurse specialist is part of that um, quad of advanced practitioners who are, you know, looking to expand and extend the nursing role um, beyond the bedside at the bedside. And the thing I love about the clinical nurse specialist role is we are really trained to look at the nurse, the system, and the client sphere, the patient sphere, and kind of weave all of those different aspects of our care um, throughout. And so that's what pulled me into the clinical nurse specialist role because I loved being a bedside nurse and I wasn't really quite ready to leave the bedside, but I did want something that I could advance my practice and really impact change and innovation um, at the bedside. My understanding is that CNSs have, they can define their role in some aspects. Some of them prescribe, some of them don't, some of them work, most of them work inpatient, right? In the hospital? Yeah, usually we are more hospital-based, um, especially in a lot of states, there's a lot of limitations to, you know, being an independent practitioner as a CNS. And so um, you can't usually bill insurance if you're not an independent practitioner. So a lot of us do work under the umbrella of a hospital. And I think that is partly what's made this clinical nurse specialist role a little bit more am ambiguous because you you can do a lot of different things with it and you can kind of create, which is essentially what I did with my role in palliative care. Um, I kind of created my own position and expanded it. And that was really fun for me, but it is more ill-defined, I guess, than say like a nurse practitioner role. Which I mean, as an NP, like people don't know what the heck I do either. And so it must be even harder for you, I would think. So just so everyone knows, like a CNS is at the same level as any other APRN and really as any other provider out there. Um, and the problems that lie with any APRN role is that each state dictates practice to some extent. So like in my state, we have independent practice. I don't work under a physician or with a collaboration of a physician. I work as part of a whole team and I always have help. But there isn't this like 
you know, transactional type of thing with a physician. But in some states, APRNs are still held back with that. And some APRNs like that. Some people like that they have a partner like that, and there's nothing wrong with that. But it also holds other providers back from providing care when they have to wait for a colleague to come by and sign a paper or whatever. Um, I'm getting on my soapbox now. But (laughs) (laughs) why don't you walk me through a day since your role is so different? What is a day in the life as a CMS all about? What do you do? So my role is, I would say, um, probably about 75% patient care. And so I actually do, in in the setting that I am, um, where I work, I have had the privileges to actually do consultations for patients. So I actually do a lot of patient care assessments, palliative care focused assessments, and, you know, do diagnose and create plans of care around those patients' needs. But the other part of my role, which I really love and, and I think really does dovetail more toward the CNS role, is looking at program development, um, policy development expansion of services. Um, Right now, I'm really focused on expanding my role more into the outpatient world because that's where there was a gap. And so I feel like the strengths of a CNS are really finding those gaps in our healthcare system and bridging between, you know, what the patients are needing, what the nurses are needing, what the system on a whole is needing, and really looking at how can we remove some of those barriers to create more seamless transitions in care. Yeah, you are the system nurse. So you clock in at eight o'clock or when do you start work and then what happens? Yeah, so I actually work 10 hour shifts. So I work from 6.30 a.m. to 5 p.m. And it's actually been kind of nice to have that schedule because as a CNS, I do tend to take on more administrative type work policy research, those kinds of things. And so working a little bit earlier in the day, it's quieter and I have time to kind of build in a little admin time before my patient care time starts. And so my early morning time is really time to look at the system and the program development piece. And then as I move into my day with patients, I usually see patients from about eight to four. And then of course, you know, there's charting in between, there's phone calls. Um, I actually do a good bit of more like case management in my role because I am following people along the course of their illness. And so helping them kind of navigate between the system, between different silos of care um, that we're trying to, you know, deconstruct in healthcare, of course, Mm -hmm. but they're still there. And so helping people kind of navigate through while also being a support for the nurses. Um, One thing I've really loved about this role is getting to be a support and advocate for the bedside nurse, Mm -hmm. Um, especially in palliative care. There's still, you know, a good bit of barrier sometimes to getting physicians particularly to understand what the role of palliative care is and how can we best support these patients who are seriously ill And the nurses try to advocate, but there's still a lot of barriers. And so getting to be an advocate with them and and really model and mentor nurses as well in how to utilize these skills in their practice, that's been one of my most favorite parts about being a clinical nurse specialist. As with all the nursing roles out there, one, one big part of the role just as any regular nurse is education. And you're just taking that to another level where you're getting to educate all the people um, 
And I, I just, I love that. I love so much about so many things about this role. Um, so what's, what's bad about it? <laughs> what's the worst part of your job? <laughs> I mean, I think because it is sometimes not as defined as other roles, I've had to learn a lot about boundaries and what I say yes to and what I say no to, because when people realize like you can do a lot of different things in healthcare, they ask you to do a lot of different things. And so I've had to get really clear on what is going to benefit the practice of my patients and the staff that I work with in my system versus, you know, what's fun and enjoyable for me. And so I've had to kind of learn that dance of, you know, when to say yes to things and when to say no to things. That's probably the biggest downside is just getting asked to do a lot of different things, to be on a lot of councils and to be, you know, in a lot of meetings, but also like one people wanting me to see patients. So just trying to figure out that balance has been the hardest part. And so it's really getting clear on what, what you're passionate about as a clinical nurse specialist and using your best skills toward that goal or purpose versus just spreading yourself too thin and then kind of yeah. running around like chaos all day. I think everyone can take can take what you just said about like spreading yourself too thin. I mean, we all are asked to do more than we can do. Even if, even if you're like, you're listening to this and you work at a grocery store, like we're all asked more than what we think we can do or what we should do or what we think is healthy, et cetera. And I think you acknowledging that that's like one of the big challenges you have. I mean, a lot of us like say that and complain about that or whatever. Um, but it sounds like it's really part of the way you practice is to like set a boundary around that. And so even though it's maybe one of the most challenging things that you have at, at your job, um, it sounds like you kind of have a handle on it. I mean, some days are easier than others. <laughs> I think the other thing that I will say that's been super helpful in figuring a lot of that out and how to sort of delegate is utilizing the other disciplines on my team and in the other areas that I work with, you know, really communicating. I think that's been one thing I've focused on strengthening in myself is communicating with other people and being very clear and concise in what I'm asking for help with in, in certain patient scenarios or mm -hmm. with certain systems projects is how to really engage that interdisciplinary team to be a support to that project or to that expansion of services or whatever we're working on. That's well, been that is, you know, really helpful. We are all about that here at Dose of Support, yes. the whole team, the whole interdisciplinary team. So if, if anyone is listening to this that needs to collaborate maybe with a CNS, look up the nearest CNS near you. And maybe you can work with them on a project or on making something better because I bet that's what you guys are all about. Awesome. So let's take a break. And when we come back, Katie's going to share a story from practice and some self-care. So stay tuned. We're back from the break with Katie May, our clinical nurse specialist, aka CNS, and she's here with a transformative story. So Katie, take it away. Yeah, so this story um, happened probably about 10 years ago in my practice, but I still remember it vividly because it was that 
really altering in my practicing career. And it was a patient who was critically ill at the time. And we had been consulted for palliative care because we didn't know if this patient was going to make it through. And we started working with with really the wife. My patient was um, intubated on a ventilator, and so he was not responsive. And so we weren't sure how his prognosis was going to go. And so we really developed a very strong relationship with the family and was really supporting and kind of working through decision making and how to really talk about, you know, the possibility that their loved one might not survive this hospitalization. And I really myself didn't have a lot of hope that this person would survive just with how sick they were. And they had a very strong faith and it was it was a little bit challenging actually um, in part of talking through um, treatment decisions because it was limiting some of the things that we could provide medically okay. from their perspective. And so we were dancing with all of these different elements of the care and long story short, he survived after like a month on a ventilator, he survived. And wow. to this day, he is still living. I still have contact with them um, in my work now as outpatient palliative care. I actually get to see him with some other things that he's working through. But just to have that support piece and to hear his family's now perspective on how we supported them during that really challenging time in their life, it's just been really eye-opening to me about partnering with people, holding space for their journey, for their perspective. I think so often as healthcare providers, we come in with our own agenda, our own agenda. Yeah. Try to really like get them to understand our perspective. And mm -hmm. what that story taught me was how to really listen and honor the story of their experience and how to use that as a strength in working with them. Because at the end of the day, like, that's their life, right? They're living that. I'm not living that life. And so how to really support people and partner with them, even in the midst of potential end of life situations, um, has been really powerful for me. What I really like about this story is that, you know, as a former ICU nurse myself and a lot of nurses listening or a lot of therapists maybe that are listening to this, people that have had been in a similar situation, you know, sometimes we don't find out what happens with the patient. We don't find out where they go after they leave our unit. We never hear from them again. There isn't closure to that situation. And a lot of people, I know chaplains do a lot of work on this, but a lot of people find ways to close the the story, the book, the chapter. A lot of people find a way to do that for themselves, but it really, you know, it bothered me. I, I worked in a trauma ICU, so I would see like gunshots to the head and we would stabilize them and like maybe not get them off a ventilator. Maybe we would, and we would send them out to the next floor. And I just never knew what happened to them. And so what I really like is that you you not only saw the outcome of that particular situation, but you do have some continued follow-up and you know kind of you know what happened. And just knowing that is sometimes therapeutic I think for healthcare workers. Absolutely. I think it's, you know, really change the way I view relationships with patients, not in a let's break boundaries kind of way. But I think sometimes 
we get kind of guarded because it's too hard, right? We want to protect ourselves and not get too attached. Mm -hmm. But I think this story really helped me to be more open to the, to the, whatever might happen and really just honor that I got to be a part of that journey. And it's okay to feel connected to that person. It's actually important to feel connected to that person because it was important that we did together. Yeah. I think you're right about um, people that need to do the work becoming hardened to that connection because it's, it hurts. It hurts when somebody dies. It hurts when, when things don't go well, or it hurts when it hurts when it doesn't go right. Um, and I think a lot of people operate at that level where they go through the motions and they don't feel the feelings because they got to get their job done. They got work to do. And you just like, you're so palliative care. Like you just pulled out your palliative care hat and put it on. And then you (laughs) you just like totally talked to the talk right now about making connections and relationship building. And that is so what, that is what a lot of people get into nursing for. Um, and that's what a lot of people get into healthcare, other healthcare roles for. And then they shut that off almost as a defense mechanism to protect themselves, like you said. I'm guessing that, you know, you like the relationship and connection and you're able to do it, but like you already have to create boundaries. So how do you digest that, process the stuff that you see? And how do you take care of yourself? That's a really good question. And one I searched for for many years um, until I would say about five or six years ago. And I realized I I became a mom like eight years ago. And I realized that was going to burn me out. Nursing was going to burn me out. I had to figure out some way to honor myself in the middle of all this giving that I was doing. And so what I've come to and kind of the nutshell I put it in is I have this daily power five is what I call it. And basically daily power five. These are my five daily because I I used to think like, oh, I'll just get a massage like once a month or I'll just get, you know, a mani-pedi here or there. And I realized that was pretty vacant for self-care for myself. I can't, I'm not judging anybody else if that's what you do. Go do it if that fills your cup. But for me, it was not getting to the root of what I really needed. And so I came up with these daily strategies. So my five is I move every day in some form, which for me looks like often getting up um, at 430 and doing some sort. I know. I know. It's not what normal people probably do, but um, it works for me. So some sort of movement, 20 minutes, 30 minutes of movement. Um, I sit in stillness for at least one to two minutes, not long. I write my gratitude every day because gratitude has helped me, I think, especially talking about like death and dying and living in that world all the time. It can get kind of dark, but having to like really think about what am I grateful for, it's really helped me to move through um, some of the darkness of that work. I try to really focus on nourishing myself. And for me, nourishing means um, sometimes I eat the damn salad and sometimes I eat the damn cake. (laughs) Um, But trying to find a balance of what nourishes my body that day. 
and also hydrating. I mean, as nurses, we don't drink enough water. So really trying to be intentional and focused on that. So starting my day, like pretty much first thing with a full glass of water, drinking water on the way to work, you know, any chance I get having a full water bottle, taking a sip here and there, you know, really trying to hone in on keeping myself hydrated. So those are my daily power five. I love it. And it sounds like every day is a little bit different. Like it can, it can ebb and flow with however you're feeling. Um, I love number two, sit in stillness. I love that. We are all so overstimulated. Um, like at my old house, I used to have this like perfect walk-in closet where you could just, it had a light, but you could turn the light off and it really was dark. You could just sit in a dark little room by yourself. And that's actually where I used to record the podcast. (laughs) It was like the perfect little sound booth. Um, (laughs) All good things start in a dark closet, right? (laughs) Uh, Apparently. Um, And so I, but it was also just a perfect place to like sit in stillness, meditate a little bit. And I'm not a meditator. The listeners know I'm so bad at a gratitude practice, a daily practice anyway. Any daily practice I fail at. But I do do like weekly practices and that's just how I operate. And so how did you find what would work for you with these power five? I think I had to really figure out what made me feel most energized. And so I started actually with the movement practice. That was kind of the first thing that I got really committed to. And I, when I started, I was like, I'm going to do this one morning a week. I'm going to just do it one morning a week. I can get up one morning a week at 430. And then it just sort of built from there because I realized how good it made my body feel. And you think it would make me more tired to get up early and do exercise first thing, but actually I found it gave me an exponential amount of energy. So it was kind of like a reaffirming thing to just keep doing it and building it in more and more. So I started with that and then just slowly began to realize what else made me feel good in the day. And then I just started to put verbiage to it. And I was like, this is, this is what I need to focus on. Tell me more. I mean, we talk about exercise on the show all the time, so I'm not going to talk about that. Um, we, we talk about gratitude practices, but only because I have like so much insecurity around this. (laughs) I have tried a daily journal, Um, I just can't make something stick with gratitude. I'm a very grateful person. I'm not, but like, and it's not like I'm sitting here every day. Like I have nothing to be grateful for. (laughs) It's not that I just find I don't have a good enough routine to sit and think about something, say something, do a mantra. So what do you do for your, for your gratitude practice? So I started with just writing down five things that I'm grateful for each day. And like, I mean, I started pretty basic, like I'm really thankful for this coffee because it is amazing, you know, like just really simple things that maybe just didn't seem very deep at the time, but it got me started. So like just being grateful that I woke up in the morning, grateful that I had this delicious cup of coffee, grateful that I could have a car to go to work in, you know, just the simple basic things. And then as I got more into it, I realized I could go deeper. I could think about deeper things that I'm grateful for. And really just the repetitive writing of it, it was almost like I hated to miss it because then I would find 
getting myself more into a negative mindset when I wasn't doing that practice. Like I was finding all the things wrong with life (laughs) instead of (laughs) what was actually going right. So that's how I started. But even just, I mean, one thing I really just recently read, I'm reading the book called The Magic, which was written by the author of The Secret, which I never got into The Secret. But The Magic is all about gratitude. And one simple practice that she has that I just started doing is at night, just having a rock by your bed or something that you can kind of hold on to and ground yourself as you're like getting in bed. You just say one thing that went well from the day. One thing you're grateful for from the day. I could do that. I could do that. I um I like a little bit of woo-woo. I'm all about the science too, babe. Like totally don't even. Yeah. But I may or may not have a crystal or two. And I may <laughs> or may not be able to actually implement this. And I I like the idea of holding something, like being being very like it it has a sensory aspect to it. Um, I also think writing it down helps you like feel it, visualize it, think about it. Um, uh, so I actually do like journaling. I just haven't been able to make a practice stick, but I can sure as heck put a rock on my nightstand. I could do that. Yeah, I could try. That. It's it's kind of like a visual reminder too. Like if you have something there that you're, oh yeah, I'm going to grab that and do a little gratitude right now. That's exciting. I like that. Okay. That is a great idea. If anyone out there is listening and you're like me and you've struggled with like actually having a gratitude practice, even though you're a grateful son of a bitch, I <laughs> literally, I can't, I, I can't operationalize it. Let's say that. Um, I love to sit in stillness. I love that you, um, in a way your gratitude practice and your movement practice, it sounds like you kind of rewired your brain through repetition of these to, because you, your body responded, your psyche responded to feeling good. And the more you did it, the better it got. And, and it sounds like you rewired how you think and how your, your body mind self responds to life. Um, and I feel like that's what a really good self-care practice can do. Like, I applaud you there. But do you think that that's what happened? Do you feel a little rewired? Oh, 100%. I mean, okay. if if you would have told me where I would be now, like five years ago, I would have been like, you are smoking something because that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not getting up at 4.30 in the morning. I'm not, you know, doing this every day. Yes, I do. I think it's just part of... Um, like you said, rewiring your brain. And and we know like back to the research, these things do rewire our brains, right? Right. Right. Oh, that's awesome. I love this. Okay. Thank you for sharing your power five. Let's say someone listening is like, um, I need to know how to connect with my CNS. Um, what the hell is a CNS? I still need to learn more. Um, tell me more about your power five. Let's say they love you, Katie. Let's say they want to reach out to you. How do they do that? Well, I love connecting with new folks all the time. And the best place to find me is over on Instagram at embrace yourself whole W H O L E. If you like to dive into growth and kind of exploring story and growth together, you can check out mine and my husband's podcast over on Apple or Spotify at 
story and growth. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing everything today, Katie. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such an amazing honor to connect with you and your listeners today. So I'm so grateful. I'm grateful for you, Vanessa. Oh my (laughs) gosh. I'm part of the Power Five. I love it. All right, listeners, thank you for being here and listening this week. You can extend a dose of support even further by visiting us on Facebook, Instagram, on our website, or by giving us a rating or review. You can always support the show monetarily on patreon.com slash dose of support. Dose of Support is written, organized, emails, edited, produced, published, all the things by me, Vanessa Casper, with exclusive music by John Schreier. I'm punching out this week but I will be back in your ears next week for another Dose of Support.